Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Lost Tribe, The Traveler. I had a terrific break last week for my birthday, but it's time to get on with our story. As always, I am the author and your humble narrator, Peter Ivey. This week, I will be reading chapters 8 to 10. If you enjoy the podcast, please like and share. It is literally the life's blood of podcasting. If you are interested in physical copies of my series, the books are all available on Amazon. Pimping myself as always. Thank you all, and let's get on with the show. Chapter 8 I was in and out for nearly a week before I learned how badly I'd been hurt. Sure, there was a glacier of pain nudging up against me constantly in my dreams and in my broken time, but it was just too big to swallow all at once. Instead, it came seeping into my mind when I was trying to think clearly, and with it came the green light. The same one in the sky over the harbour and pretty, except that it felt like it was inside me. Shining out. It was pure power. Breathing out of me in eddies and swirls that ushered in pain and, so I'm told, a fair amount of screaming. I can recall doctors coming in and out of the room. I also remember that there were no other patients in the room, even though there were three or four beds, including my own. I started to fear that the light was beginning to shine out of me and into the room, putting the fear of whatever the hell I had become into the doctors and nurses like it did the enemies on the boat and my own men. As far as I knew before I came to the hospital, my power allowed me to pull sleight-of-hand tricks and supply me with a reserve of terrible power that shone up through my eyes like the gaze of some ghastly demon. Then there came the day I became conscious enough to carry on a conversation, and one of the doctors, Wilkes by name, came to visit. Wilkes was a tall, fit man in his late forties. He had the rugged looks of a man who spends his weekends doing something physically demanding, perhaps sailing or climbing. He came into the room dressed in scrubs. He pulled up a chair and started telling me about my condition. I sipped orange juice through a straw. I broke what? Your right arm was broken in three places, your right leg shattered, your left shin splintered, your skull fractured, and you had one hell of a nasty infection running through you from some kind of bite in your left shoulder, he said, reading it like a grocery list, which made it really hard to stabilize you when you arrived here. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I bet, I said, thinking about Falkir's parting gift. Can I ask you a couple of questions? I guess so, if you have to. I do, actually, he said, pushing his glasses back on the brim of his nose. It's our policy in cases like yours. I wondered briefly about what he meant, and I had a strong feeling that I knew just what he was going to ask. What's your name, Mick? Your uncle didn't write it out in the form when he brought you in. At the time, we weren't really concerned as he had paid us rather well. However, he disappeared, and we can't reach him by the number he left. Now that you're awake, I figured that you'd be able to tell me. Pharaoh... I replied. Thanks, he said, writing on a piece of paper and putting it folded in his breast pocket. Uh, that money's running out? No, your uncle paid as well, but your time in here is just about done, and our policy is usually to have someone around when patients check out. Oh, that sounds ominous. How long have I been here? Two weeks. I pushed myself up in the bed and looked down at my body. There were no casts on my legs, but I could feel how irritated the skin was where they had been. I felt around my head and there was still a bandage on it. That, I remember. My head throbbed a little still. Wilkes looked up at me. Mick, I've been a doctor for 15 years and I've never seen anyone like you. You have almost no evidence of breaks and barely any scar tissue. I'm betting that the only physical signs of what happened will be gone in another week. That's not possible, Mr. Farrow. Or do you prefer Mick? Mick's good, Doc, I said, stretching. 
Yeah, I know it's kind of odd. Believe me when I say I'm just as surprised as you. Now, if you can get me out of here, I'll just go on my merry way and you can chalk this up to a minor mystery, okay? I really like to do that, Mick, Wilkes said, standing up. But I'm afraid that you're not going anywhere. I frowned and tried to kick myself up from the bed, but found that both legs were cuffed to the bed rails, and my arms were similarly cuffed. I wouldn't have noticed that if I hadn't tried to get up. They had some length to them. What the hell is this? Just some insurance against losing the find of the century. I wouldn't want you to get up and go when I have so much to learn from studying you. The paper I'll write will guarantee me a ticket out of this dreary hospital and into the good life in perpetuity. Your blood, once I isolate the property that allows you to heal so quickly, will be my first patent. I yanked at the cuffs on my arms and the rails rattled. Oh really? And what if I don't cooperate? Then I sedate you and keep you under for the next few days while I put you in a private facility where I can take you apart at my leisure. I sat back and stopped pulling up the chains, trying to keep my anger in check. He knew nothing about what I could do, and it wouldn't be long before I could use my powers to get out of here. Let him think he's won. It'll give me time to think anyway. Okay, I see you've thought this through, I said, gritting my teeth. That's right, Mick. By the way, you never said which uncle it was that dropped me off. I have a few. Ah, oh, yes, tall fellow, blonde with a long ponytail. Looked like one of those pro wrestlers. He opened the door to my room. Good night, Mick, he said, stepping out and closing the door. I heard the audible click of a lock as the door slipped shut. I sat up and sipped at the orange juice. So, that had not been a hallucination I had seen before I got hit. The stranger had been here. Damn. He could have told me to move. Then again, I guess that was probably revenge for his beating back into Roge. Despite his obvious disdain for human beings, or whatever I was, he had all too human reactions and emotions. That was good. It made him easier to predict. His actions in dumping me off at the hospital made me think of other problems, though. It was more than likely that Falkir had survived the wound I had given him, if he could heal like I could. Hell, it was even possible that the stranger plucked him out of that gorge. I should have thought of that before, but at the time I really couldn't stand letting Falkir live, as awful as he was. Was it possible that we couldn't die? That prospect had a certain sense of loneliness to it. If all of my kin was like Falkir, and my companions like the stranger, eternal life could be very obnoxious. Being kicked from world to world and trying to get along with power-hungry psychotics that were supposed to be my people. It sounded grim. There was also that dream. I could barely remember it. My father was there, and something bright, like the light that shone inside. There was something that I couldn't see, something that danced with the light. With my head bandaged up as it was, I considered the possibility that I had lost some of my memory. Or some of it had been fuzzed away as my skull knit itself back together. I also thought it was possible that I wasn't allowed to remember whatever it was. I had a feeling that it was a secret, hidden away in my brain by who knows what. Someone or something that held a lot of answers for me. I was getting tired of pursuing those answers. Why weren't the others like me trying to seek me out? I found it curious that none of them had tried to find me. Maybe we were all just stumbling around in the dark, reaching fingers out trying to find something real to hold on to. I didn't discount the stranger either. It certainly looked like he had dropped me right in Falkir's path, forcing our meeting like a couple of pawns on a chessboard. Did he want us to come together? This all seemed like some big system of control, like cows being herded from pen to pen. That possibility certainly soured any notion of life amidst the worlds. Whatever was in control of them, if there was a person or higher power or 
God, as it were. It didn't like my people much. Or worse, didn't know what to do with us. I knew I was reaching, but some of that, I was thinking, it felt right. After all, the stranger had to answer to someone or something. He had said as much. The fact that he said we also meant that there could be more like him. Maybe there was a stranger for every one of us, like shepherds or guardian angels. Powerful guardian angels possessed of a slightly bitter streak. The wrath was evident, as I lay here licking my wounds. I finished the cup of orange juice and tossed it onto the tray near the bed. The room was lit by a fluorescent light near the door that bathed everything in a dim, uneven light, and by a natural light coming in from a large window. There were three other beds in the room, unoccupied, and a small rolling tray set close to my bed. They hadn't come in to sedate me yet, but I had a feeling they might. I tried to concentrate, drawing my will together to pull a hammer or a chisel out to get my restraints off. It was more difficult than usual to focus, and nothing seemed to be happening. I wasn't strong enough yet. It could be that I used up a lot of power healing myself. Just when I'd overused it before, the power needed time to come back. Perhaps I was thinking too big. Something smaller, then. I chuckled and began to ease the covers off of me. Chapter 9 The nurse came in, as she did every day at the same time, every day I'd been conscious enough to recall anyway, with a tray of food not so long after my conversation with Wilkes. She didn't even address me as she placed the tray of food on the little table and slid it into place in front of me, which I'm sure was some kind of order from Wilkes. She merely stood near my bedside with her hands folded politely in front of her, presumably waiting for me to finish the food so she could take the tray. She was slim, in her twenties, dark-haired and demure. If she would have been born in a different era, she'd have been a countess or maybe royalty. This probably was one more stop on the way to the next better thing for her. I found it funny thinking of her in these terms, despite the knowledge that I would leave her behind and go to another world with another whole population of people that mattered little to me. I wondered how long it would be before regular people didn't matter to me at all. I could become like Falkir, noticing them a little or using them for sport. Then again, Falkir and I didn't exactly evolve along the same lines. We just shared certain nuances of the same universal fate. I turned my attentions to the dull-looking meal under the sterile plastic lid. I noticed that the cutlery it came with was plastic and would probably have been no good for picking the locks on the restraints. Very careful, aren't you, Doc? I chuckled and ate some of the food, being careful not to let my hand slip too far above my blanket. I ate most of it but managed to spill my dessert, some gooey chocolate mess that rolled and splattered down the front of my gown and onto the sheets. I'm sorry, nurse, I said, pulling a sagging, pleading look. I made a mess here. She sighed, plucking a cloth from her pocket as she moved to wipe up the chocolate from where it had fallen. Thank you, I said as she cleaned me up. She turned to me and brightened a little, with a polite smile which contained no warmth, and then looked away. I'm so sorry. She turned back in time to see my hands whip up from beneath the covers. The restraints from my arms and legs gripped tightly as I wrapped them around her throat. I pulled her up onto the bed and covered her mouth with one hand as she struggled. She was strong for her size, but I was pissed off and not in a mood to be gentle. The thought that she no doubt took her orders from Wilkes fueled my dedication to her less-than-kind subduel. Her breathing slowed, but did not cease, and she stopped fighting. That's good, I whispered into her ear. I'm not going to hurt you any more than I have to. All you need to do is cooperate, and I'll let you go. Do you understand? Blink twice if you do. She blinked twice. 
My resolve slipped a little as I watched two tears like white diamonds slip from her eyes as she did so. Okay, where are my clothes and the other stuff I came in with? She slowly pointed at a wardrobe that had a lock on it. Do you have a key for it? She blinked twice. Reach into wherever you have it and put it on the tray. She reached into her pocket and pulled out a key ring with some kind of little pink teddy bear on it, and I put the set on the tray, holding up the key as she did so. Well done, I said, nodding. And now, before I let you go, I have one last duty to ask of you. You have to understand that I do it myself, but I have no idea what you and the doctor have done to me. I pointed down at my groin. Get this damn thing out of me, post-haste. You got that? She nodded this time. I kept the restraints wrapped around her throat as I pulled off the covers and motioned for her to get it over with. A few agonizing and personally awkward moments later, the damn thing was out. I spared a moment to contemplate the length of the tube and where it might have gone. I shivered. The girl's face was red and I smiled a little. She seemed to be very new at her job, which would work in her favor. All right, now I'm going to let you go, in a manner of speaking, I said, getting off the bed. The feeling of standing was exhilarating after so long a bed and feeling so useless. My legs were a little unsteady, but I was dealing. As nasty as I felt, I just didn't have the heart to knock her out or do something similarly rotten. Instead, I tied her to the bed with the restraints, pinned her arms against the rails. I stuck a cloth from her pocket into her mouth. Thanks again, I said to her as I sauntered over to the wardrobe, snatching the keys up off the tray. I wondered briefly if she could be lying about the keys as I put one she indicated in the lock. She could be trying to delay me by having me fumble through the keys to find the right one. Luckily for both of us, the key turned the lock, and I opened up the wardrobe to find my fur-lined coat and my clothes folded inside. My boots and swords were missing. That didn't surprise me at all. Wilkes was careful, and I didn't blame him for his cautions. I could hazard a moment of power to retrieve them. But I wasn't sure if I could draw that much. Getting the restraints to swap from one hand to the other until I lumped them all together into one had been taxing enough. If all went well, the food I'd consumed would give me enough strength to get out of here. As I was wondering what to do next, things became darker in the room. Thunder sounded from somewhere close. No, no, not now. I rushed over to the window and looked out. Lightning flashed in the distance, and the sky was turning red. The city was being swallowed by darkness. It was as terrifying as Trelane, but the added bonus that I knew the storm was here because of me. At least I hoped it was. Thinking of my survival, I grabbed the pole that held up the bag of fluid that they had attached to me and removed everything else, reducing it to a club. It felt reassuring in my hands as I walked over and opened the door. I peeked outside to make sure no one was watching. The hallway was deserted. I saw numbers on the wall that showed this was the second floor. Along the hall there were a number of gurneys that were empty of patients. At both ends of the hall were mirrors they used to peek around the corners. I didn't see anyone in the hall. I stepped out in the hallway, truncheon in hand, just in time for lights to go out. It made me jump a little, but I figured it was a storm. Then, someone screamed, a woman by the sound of it, and not too far away. Some kind of emergency lighting came on in the hallway, bathing the expanse in a dull red light. I saw signs of movement through the mirror at the end of the hall. Something happening down the other hallway. I moved closer. Dark shapes were moving in the dark, ruddy light. One of those shapes reared up, and another struggled. Then came the scream, a terrified, agonizing sound of suffering. You can't get away from me, Mick, said Wilk from behind me. I swirled around, swinging the bar. It went swishing through the air and struck the hall with a harsh, clanging sound. 
Wilkes stood outside the room across from mine, leaning on a gurney, clutching his left arm. His scrubs were stained. The light made the stains going down his scrubs look like zebra stripes, but I knew that the blackness in the ruby light of the hallway was his life leaking out. Wilkes was pale, blinking rapidly, and was sweating profusely. Everyone I had countered on the field of battle that looked like that were on their way out. I walked forward and patted the bar in one hand. He saw the threat I was implying and tried to straighten up. What the hell happened to you, Doc? As if you didn't know, he rasped, laughing a little. His lips were becoming black, too. Some men came looking for you. One of them stuck me with something when I wouldn't tell them what they wanted to know. Wilkes explained, pushing himself up to his feet. Imagine my surprise when he pulled his hand away. It was furry. God, not human. And I thought to myself, of course they aren't human, because they're after you. I swapped it out of his hand and into mine, a reflex that I was grateful had not been dull during my recovery. I stuck it in his shoulder, depressing the plunger. Wilkes pulled out the syringe on instinct, unfortunately pulling his arm away from the wound. I stepped away in horror as his guts spilled to the floor. He stood there for a moment, looking at the syringe, then his guts, and then at me. His eyes were pleading as I lowered him down to lean against the gurney. I tried to help people. I really did. <clears throat> He gurgled, bloody bubbles on his lips. Whatever you have to tell yourself, Doc, I said, patting his cheek. He died then, his eyes rolling. I stood up abruptly as I heard one of the men Wilkes described come around the corner from where the woman had presumably died. My grip on the bar tightened as I saw him. Flashbacks of Falker's face and his savagery hit me as I tried to take in what I was seeing. He was clothed in a suit, which became a total contrast. The man, or whatever he was, had short, bristly fur coming to funny peaks on his face, a face that seemed longer and more slender than a human face should be. His eyes were white, swiveling around as he sniffed the air. His arms were very close to his sides, only the hands were moving, the fingers tapping as if in a nervous twitch. I considered running, but I had no idea where I'd be running to. Wilkes had said that the men were here looking for me, men, as in the plural, almost as if my thoughts had made it happen. Another of the man's ilk loped from around the corner. He was also dressed in a suit, although it was much more ragged. They both seemed to notice me at the same time. Heads turned and they bared their teeth at me. Lots of teeth. I considered my options. I pointed at the first one with my bar. Come on, you freak. I started towards the creature and they both moved towards me. So much for a fair fight. I broke into a sprint, lifting the bar over my head with the intent of bashing their collective brains in. Thunder exploded in the hallway as I closed with the creatures, and I noticed now that the first one is no longer so much of a head to speak of. I skidded to a halt and realized I nearly pissed myself. Ain't you heard gunfire before? Duck! I dropped down. I craned my neck around to see a young woman, short in stature but posed like she meant business. She was dressed in dark jeans with leather suspenders over a collared, sleeveless white shirt, and had a brown fedora on her head, and had a brown fedora on her head, turned at a roguish angle. Twin holsters were slung across her midsection. Her guns, one held in each hand, were long-barreled pistols, well-oiled and gleaming with deadly intent. From underneath the fedora, two eyes that glowed green as we looked upon each other, looked out from a tanned face framed by long, curly, dark locks. She winked at me as she raised her guns and fired down the hall at the other creature. It disappeared in a puff of red gore. It disappeared in a puff of red gore, and flew back in chunks to land in a heap near the corner. I got to my feet. You know, I said, this goes against all my principles. I'd rather be the one doing the rescuing. Roll reversal, ain't it a bitch, she replied, holstering her pistols.
Mick, I said, offering her my hand. She took it in a firm grip. Casey, so I guess that we're both, uh, way ahead of you there. But yeah, we're both different, but the same. Can we save questions for later? We're chin deep here. Take this. She tossed me a sword, complete with sheath. It was similar to the swords used by my enemies, but looked serviceable. I looped the sheath into my belt. I was feeling much stronger now, but I didn't know why. I drew the sword. Casey raised her eyebrows quizzically. I think it's fair to warn you that I have trust issues with our own people, I said, in an answer to the way she was looking at me. You seem pretty normal by comparison to the last one I met. You seem pretty normal by comparison to the last one of us I met, but I really know nothing about you. Huh, she said emphatically. What? Then I guess it should be straight, she said, letting out a breath. Because I'm here to bring you to the stranger. I shook my head. Of course. Problem? Yeah, I replied. A big one. Chapter 10 he let you get run over by a taxi? We've been arguing for a few moments so far, and this was the gist of what Casey had gleaned. She had an odd accent I couldn't place, so I might have been misunderstanding as well in the retelling. I told her all about what I had gone through with a stranger, from our first meeting to our encounter in Taroge, and on to what I believed to have been his manipulation of me in this world. My good uncle, as it were. I wondered exactly how much he had told her about me, and how much she knew about who and what we are. I knew that she could shoot a gun, but I had no idea how she was gifted otherwise. I couldn't imagine the guns were a part of it, but what did I know? I sure needed to know more, if there was time. That's my suspicion. He poses my uncle when he dropped me off at the hospital. I was in rough shape, Casey. I, I healed very quickly, I might add, but it still hurt like a bastard getting run down. You're sure it was him? Yeah, they described him reasonably well, and I saw him right before I got hit. He was there. I think he distracted me to make sure it happened. I was burning with fever, so I didn't notice the people were telling me to get out of the way. A hallucination, maybe? I mean, him? I don't think so, I said, wondering. It's too big a coincidence. Thunder rolled around outside, and the lights flickered again. Casey grabbed my arm. We need to go, Mick. Now. I looked at her, apprehension coming clear. We're not alone here, are we? She shook her head. There's another, Mick, and she's bad news, she said, looking down the hall. I followed her gaze to the mirror at the end of the hall, and watched as a door to what was probably the stairwell swung wide, and four or five of the beasts came stalking into the hall. They formed a loose group, and then a figure in tattered robes walked into their midst. It was clearly feminine, the way the robe revealed the curves and chest of a beautiful female form as she moved. She stroked the face of one of the beasts almost tenderly. One of the others sniffed the air, and the others in the pack looked towards it. The hood of the robe figure lifted slightly in acknowledgement. She looked up towards the end of the hall, and inside the hood there was one gleaming green eye as it suddenly saw us. Ha! Huh, I gasped at the realization that we had been seen, and backed up. I turned to see Casey's eyes burning with power as well. There was no hiding here. Need I repeat that we need to leave now? She said, pulling her revolvers. Who the hell is that? Her name's Flesh, Casey said, reloading her one revolver. We've met. Can you shoot one of these? Uh, those are advanced compared to what my world considered to be a handgun. So, no, I, I doubt it'd be any good with one. Why? Well, as luck would have it, Flesh and her crew are between us and the way out. 
And believe me when I say that you don't want her touching you. I don't like the idea of she's trying to shoot around you, either. Fleshner minions were coming down the other hall now. Is that you, little Casey? Flesh's voice came as a whisper down the hallway, sweet and light like a summer's night. I felt the pure, rousing nature of her voice. It was tinged with the smell of blood in the air. It made for a strange juxtaposition. Yeah, it's me, Casey said, hoisting her guns. Clear a path or I'm going to send your little monsters to hell. Casey, I whispered, where is the stranger? Outside, she whispered back, near the emergency entrance. Flesh and her crew rounded the corner, and she halted as she moved to the head of the pack. She moved with a lithe grace. Ah, oh, there's our newcomer. Greetings, Mick, Flesh said, extending one dark and slender arm towards me. I've heard so much about you. I didn't know I was so popular, I said, glancing down at the open door that led back into my room. Oh, you are the talk of the kingdom, she said in honey-dripping tones. Come with us. And we will have such beautiful moments together, you and I. <laughs> I think I'll pass, I said, turning to Casey. Shoot her if any of those nasty things get any closer. Ah, uh, no problem, Casey said, and opened fire. The round was dead on, and one of Flesh's minions went down with a chest wound. I looked back at Casey. Close enough, she shrugged. And the next one takes your head clean off, Flesh. Flesh screamed in outrage, and the pack began to move towards us. Damn it, I'm at cover me, Casey. I said, grabbing her arm. Let's go! I pulled her back towards the door as she fired off a couple more rounds into the pack. I kicked the door fully open and we both got inside amidst her protests. I shoved the door shut and locked it. A few seconds later, heavy blow was hammered at the door. It held, but Casey and I shoved an empty bed against it. The nurse I left tied up looked at both of us with dread. I winked at her. Now what? Casey roared, taking aim at the door. Now we get out of here, I replied, drawing upon my will. A moment later, a long length of rope and a grappling hook appeared in my hands. Casey looked sideways at me from where she covered the door, then glanced at the room's only window. No chance in hell am I doing that. Not a big fan of heights? Not so much. Okay. So why don't we wait for flesh, then? Casey turned and blew the window with a pair of shots. The glass fell in tiny chunks. She turned back to cover the door. You're kind of an ass, you know. Well, my dad always said I'd find my calling. I replied and moved over to the bed where the nurse was tied up. I started undoing the restraints. What the hell? Casey shouted. I lifted my hand to stifle her. The door started to give, but the bed held, keeping it most of the way shut. Several clawed furry arms reached in and clawed at the wall. Casey fired and one of the arms literally blew up in a gory mess. Okay, girl, I said, plugging the cloth out of her mouth. It's time to go. Do exactly as I say and you won't die, or you can stay and find out what's worse than death, okay? She nodded and I dragged her up from the bed and over to the window. I looped the grappling hook around the bars of my hospital bed and threw the rope out the window. I looked over the ledge and saw that the rope ended a foot or so above a hedge 20 feet below along a walkway. Lightning flashed red in the sky and something exploded in a shower of sparks a block away. People were running around, panicking. I gritted my teeth and turned back to the nurse. Go! Her eyes were wide with fear. She wasn't moving. The bed by the door began to shudder as the weight of the flesh's creatures began to push it aside. There was no more time. Come on, Casey, move it! She fired again, backing up. Another beast was maimed in the doorway. It wasn't quite dead and still coming. Casey handed me one of her guns as she grabbed the rope and began to climb down. I sighed and tucked it in my coat. I pushed the nurse towards the window. You have to go, now! I can't, she cried, tears running down her cheeks. I moved past her and took hold of the rope. 
I'll help you. Take the rope. I'll help you over. I could still see her as she stood there, not moving, looking at me with pleading eyes. I crawled up and over and hung on for dear life. I reached out my hand, but it was too late. The door finally gave way and Flesh's minions moved in. Come on, you gotta take it! She reached out. I almost had her. A second later, a pair of clawed arms reached around her and clutched her chest. She let out a scream as one of the beasts loomed up over her shoulder and bit deeply into her neck. Blood soaked her white uniform and sprayed my face. I joined her in the screaming. Hers was a pain. Mine was of horror. She slumped forward as it gnawed on her, blood trickling from her dead lips. I pulled the gun from her coat with my free hand and shot it in the head. The recoil nearly made me lose my grip, and I hung one-handed from the rope as my feet scrambled to find purchase. I dropped the gun and grabbed the rope with both hands. I could feel the rope shaking from above as I got my grip again. I spared one glance above and saw the dead face of the poor nurse and the half-head of her murderer. If the universe was kind, I'd be able to pay Flesh back for what she'd done. I continued my descent. Case was already down below, and she fired a couple of shots at the window to try to get them off the rope. I dropped down to join her a moment or so later and scooped up the gun where it lay. I handed it back to her as she reloaded. Not as handy as a sword, I guess, she said, grinning. I was suddenly weary of all of this. Then I shrugged. She shrugged back and aimed, and disemboweled one of the creatures trying to get down the rope. It fell and impacted wetly with the ground. It lay there a few feet away, moaning for its mother. I had no idea if that was a plea to flesh or not. I walked over to where it lay and beheaded it. Let's get out of here, I said, sheathing my sword. I agree, said the voice of the stranger. I turned to see him walking up to us, dressed in his usual white robe and chainmail. Casey holstered her gun. Took you long enough, she muttered. I just followed the sounds of death and mayhem, he said, waving his hand in a sweeping gesture to take in the hospital. Shall we? Now, uh, wait just a second, I said, walking up to him. I haven't agreed to any... The three of us disappeared suddenly. There was a roaring sound as the world was being pulled away. I think I liked Wilkes better. listening to the lost tribe i'm peter ivy and thank you very much remember to tune in next week for a new episode